I like going outside of the department because it helps gain a different perspective about the business that maybe you're not fully aware of. And because of the distance between you and them, it helps improve your objectivity because they're more likely to tell you how it is versus if you're in within the same department, there's this level of being polite and being kind. It's like a lot of times people for the sake of being polite won't tell you all the potentially frustrating things that you do because they know that they work with you actively. But when they're in a different department, it's a lot easier to be completely forthright with the challenges that you're facing and and how you're going through that. And in terms of how you can go about building those relationships, I'm a huge fan of vulnerability. Just like I shared with everybody, my story and my background of, you know, being a drug dealer, I, I highly encourage you if you want to build these bonds and relationships that you start by extending the olive branch. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. Almost two years ago, companies across the globe began closing their offices and sending employees home to work. And today, more than half of employers in the U.S. are continuing to allow their employees to work remotely on at least a part-time basis, something that was inconceivable back in 2019. Even before the novel coronavirus, now doesn't that sound old school, the novel coronavirus, Many employers were struggling with how to build company cultures that kept employees engaged and gave them the opportunities to grow personally and professionally. And in a remote environment, keeping employees engaged seems to be an even more daunting challenge. My guest today says that among the greatest obstacles to engagement is how we develop relationships across the organization. Garrett Mintz is the founder of Ambition in Motion, a company that helps build company culture through connection. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Garrett. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. So let's start with your your own story. How have mentors affected your life's trajectory? Yeah, so I needed mentors in my life. Um, mentors have played a huge role in how I've gotten to where I'm at today. I'm, I'm passionate about mentoring. Uh, I became passionate about mentoring uh, from an industrial organizational psychology perspective. Um, but I got into it because... I needed mentors. Uh, from age 15 to age 19, I was a drug dealer. And at the end of my freshman year at Indiana University, I got arrested. I received five felony distribution charges. I was expelled from school. I was facing prison time. And I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. But fortunately, I had some people in my life that saw something in me that I didn't quite see in myself. And um, they gave me some opportunities. They gave me some chances. And I was really grateful. I was really lucky. And I was able to take advantage of, of that privilege of the, of those opportunities. And I wanted to help other young men and women who had made similar choices as me get similar opportunities. So I started connecting uh, young men and women who had made similarly poor choices with business leaders for mentorship. Um, eventually I was able to get back into Indiana university and started applying that to college students, connecting them with alumni for mentoring relationships. Um, my team and I grew that to a few hundred campuses. We facilitated thousands of mentorships. And one of the biggest things we learned was that this traditional model of mentoring wasn't working. This idea of saying like, hey, you're a senior person, you're a junior person, bam, connect them. We found that only 18% of those relationships lasted for six months and were considered productive and quality to both participants. 
And this blew my mind because every mentor program that I'd known, including our own when we first got started, um, was based on the senior junior notion. Um, so I partnered with these industrial organizational psychologists and we started studying that 18%. We identified these two really critical factors that if you adjust them right before a mentor relationship starts, it has a massive impact, not only on the longevity of that relationship, but its likelihood of being considered productive and quality. So you got yourself into a, a ton of trouble early in yeah. college. Yeah. And f- I think for a lot of us there, but for the grace of God, go I, I just, you know, there's a lot of stupid stuff I did in college and didn't get caught uh, and, stu- you know, stumbled through. But how did you, what, who, what kind of people were those mentors? Uh, how did you come in contact with them? And, and where does that, you know, you were obviously one of the lucky ones. So uh, where does that kind of luck come from? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it truly, one of my first mentors, um, well, I'll, I'll share a couple of stories. One was shortly after getting in trouble, I was able to apply and get accepted into a program in St. George, Utah called At the Crossroads. And one of my first mentors was the the guy who owned and ran that program, a guy named Brian Virgin. And he really just kind of helped me show the ropes and just say, hey, you know, you may not get back into university. You may not get back to the life that you had before, but here's a way to become productive and here's a way to to help yourself and help other people um, be successful moving forward. Um, and then another mentor that I had uh, about a month after moving to St. George, Utah, I flew back to Indiana to let my family know my life's getting on track. I'm sober. Things are, are going well for me. And on that flight, I'm sitting next to a guy wearing jean shorts, cut off sleeve t-shirt, has a goatee, he's wearing sunglasses on the airplane. Like on, on appearances alone, he looked like a landscaper. Um, but we started a conversation. I was in the middle of reading the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. He sees that I'm reading this book. He's like, that's a great book. We strike up a conversation. I think even Dale Carnegie talks about in the book that you might as well talk to people because you've got no idea who you'll meet and no idea where that conversation will go. So I'm chatting with this guy. Well, it turns out he is the director of ground equipment for SkyWest Airlines. And I mean, he's sharing with me about his his wife on how like he's fire and she's ice and together they make some weird concoction, how he likes to play golf and he likes the Arizona Cardinals and whatever. We're talking about sports and, and business and all these sorts of things. And then he asked me a little bit more about me and some of my professional aspirations. And by the time the plane lands, he says, oh, by the way, I'm the director of ground equipment for SkyWest Airlines. So what would you think about coming in and doing a financial analysis internship in our ground equipment department? Just internship offer on the spot. And um, it was insane. I, I had no idea. I remember when I told my parents this, when I had gotten back to Indiana, they thought I was lying. They were like, you know, what's going on? Like, are you regressing? Like, what, what's actually happening here? But lo and behold, I started the internship and uh, it was great. It was a great opportunity to have someone see something in me because I remember um, like on my first day or two, they had to do the fingerprint, like HR background check scan. And they did that. And they were like, Troy, this kid might be going to prison in the next six months. What are you thinking? And, uh, he stuck his neck out for me. He gave me a chance. And, um, it was a huge opportunity. It was a great confidence booster for me. It showed me that I could be there, that I could be successful. And that even though I was in this corporate environment that had, you know, these extensive background checks and security screens that people would, interact and engage with me based on my personality and based on my ability to make them feel heard and just my genuine curiosity, which I think was, was really helpful in that, that scenario and that situation. Um, and so because I had those opportunities with those mentors and I had many other mentors while in St. George, but those are two cool stories to share. 
Um, I wanted to help other young men and women uh, in similar positions as me who had to maybe check that box that said I've been convicted of a crime or someone that, you know, might not necessarily have all the prerequisites to get an opportunity, connect with mentors that might be able to fast track that resume forward, or maybe just be able to, to overlook some of the blemishes because they could see an opportunity that maybe that individual didn't quite see in themselves. That's awesome. I love those stories. I, um, we just had Cherry Garcia who runs out of Dallas, who runs Cornbread Hustle, uh, on the show, and they're they're a staffing firm that does nothing but help former offenders find meaningful work. And she's got an amazing story, and uh, and it's just, and we've got a program where we help former offenders uh, learn how to look for meaningful work with a, with a history. And uh, so I think that's that's great stuff. So let's so you 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 had these amazing experiences, and then you took them uh, first to students, and now you're working with companies. Um, in that area, uh, we've all, and I'm, I'm a member of EO, the Entrepreneurs Organization, and we've got mentorship programs, and I've, I've been in mentorship programs in other uh, professional associations. And, and like you said, they always fizzle out. Either they, you know, there's not anything to, didn't feel like there's anything to do there, or the mentee doesn't know what to ask for, or the mentor's only got so much time and the mentee's asking for everything. So, what are the components of a, a good mentor-mentee relationship? I think the first and most critical component to a good mentor relationship is there is no mentee. There is no protege. When we incorporate hierarchy into the relationship, we create a block on the relationship. We're literally here to say, hey, you're here to give, you're here to gain. And when we do that, we, we create an uneven balance in the relationship. You've got one person who thinks, oh, this is my philanthropy time. This is my opportunity to give back. And if I show up unprepared or I show up late, it's okay because this person should be grateful for any time that I give and any wisdom that I give because I've got more experience than they do or I'm considered the quote unquote mentor. And that creates an imbalance or a, uh, a uneven scenario for the relationship. And for the best mentor relationships, it's back and forth. It's a two-way street. Um, it's not about one person being more experienced than the other person. It's about two people being open to learning from each other, what we call horizontal mentorship. So we try to avoid the vertical nature of a mentorship and we try to incorporate horizontal mentorship, which means no matter how many years experience you've got, no matter what your title is, you are open to learning from that other person. The other thing we observed was that how you view your work matters. So some people view the work as a job. Some people view the work as a career. Some people view the work as a calling and it's a spectrum. So imagine a triangle with job being in one point, career being in another point, calling being in another point. And where you fall on this, this triangle changes throughout your life. Essentially, what we found is that when two people's work orientations are aligned at this given moment in time, the likelihood that relationship lasts for six months and is considered productive and quality to both parties is four times greater than if it's just based on what you do. So the culmination of those two key factors we identified as being critical to matching people together. You have to view your work similarly. And so if you're job oriented, you're motivated by work-life balance. If you're career oriented, you're motivated by professional growth. If you're calling oriented, you're motivated by impact. And there's not a right or wrong work orientation, by the way. We've done studies on this as it pertains to correlation There was, or pertains to engagement. There was not a correlation between being engaged in any one work orientation. But um, what was just critical was that if you have two people that are in alignment on their work orientation, that can have a massive impact on the success of that mentorship. So 
if if I go to work, if I get up and go to work every day excited because I get to learn something new, I get new challenges, and and that's what's really driving me. I need that mentor relationship that we're really talking, I guess, peer to peer type relationship with somebody like that, rather than somebody who's uh, more focused on this is how you get through the day so you can go home and be with your family at night. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's different ways of looking at it. So like if you're career oriented, you're motivated by growth. You want to learn new skills. You want to get promoted. You want to work up that ladder. Um, Things that drive you and motivate you are things that are around, yeah, promotions and opportunities for growth. If you are a manager of somebody who's career oriented, the worst thing you can do for them is give them ambiguity. The worst thing you can do if you're in a management position, because I, you know, we apply mentorship even beyond just the mentor relationship across people and companies and teams, but even from a manager to direct report relationship, if we can facilitate that almost as like a coaching or a mentor relationship, we can have a really powerful impact on our employees' experience while at work. Um, But if you've got, let's say, an employee that's career oriented, the worst thing you can do is give them ambiguity. They want to know that they're working towards something. They want to know that they're working towards something. And it's going to come at XYZ period in time or after I hit some of these thresholds. And it doesn't have to be a promotion. It doesn't have to be a raise. It doesn't have to be something formal. It just gives them a target to look at. Um, whereas if you're job oriented, if you've got a direct report who's job oriented, um, one of the best ways to motivate them is to motivate them with the opportunity for free time. So you say, hey, if you can get this work done based on these quality metrics, you can have the rest of the day off. They're going to find the most efficient way to get that work done. Why? Because they want the rest of the day off. Um, but if you say, hey, if you get this work done early, then you can start working on this task. They're going to say, you know what? Nope, I'm going to take my sweet time on this task because there's no incentive for me to keep working on this because I'm not necessarily driven by that next promotion. I'm more driven to go home to my family and have some family time. And that's okay too. Um, and if you've got a direct report that's calling oriented, it means they're motivated by impact. They need to be nourished. You as a leader may not think your work is world changing. That's totally fine. But your employees do. And if your employee feels that way, you need to nurture that. If they feel like you're in a, if you're in a construction company, let's just say, and you're building homes across America, you know, you might think, hey, we go in, we get the lumber, we get the wires and the nuts and bolts and we put the house together and, it, you know, we work on the next house and it's just, you know, we get it done and we work on the next thing. You might have somebody who thinks we're putting we're creating family time. We're putting people together in their homes because we're changing people's lives and we're helping people get to a new level of, of living. And if that's the case, you need to nourish that because as a leader, it's on us to 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 cater to our people, to our employees and, and build those strong bonds. Sorry, I'm going on no. a tangent here, but I think it's relevant in the sense of mentorship, leadership. How can we build the most effective teams? How can we keep people engaged even while working remotely? And it's all about those conversations and the incentive structures we set up in place between managers, employees. Yeah. And a lot of that is real reminiscent of Simon Sinek's why, right? And and, and knowing our whys and, and, and having those aligned on in our teams. Uh, so I can, I can see that, but you use the term, term mentor and I, maybe we should have defined it more clearly at the front because when I think of a mentor, I think of somebody who's been there, done that, and is going to take the time to show me how to get there and do that. Um, so define how, what, how do you define mentor? Uh, if you don't use the mentor mentee framework, what is a, what is a mentor? What does that really mean? Mentor is somebody who's willing to ask questions to better understand the scenario that you are in and ultimately provide guidance based on things that they know. Now 
that can go both ways. It doesn't have to be, uh, it, it doesn't have to be a novice person, uh, providing suggestions or feedback to a person who's already got a lot of experience in an area. I think the first and most important part of, of any mentorship, especially horizontal mentorship are the questions you ask, like what layer of curiosity are you incorporating into that? Because so often the, as they might say, the devil is in the details. It's what are the key components to this challenge that you are facing that maybe you're assuming everybody knows, but you haven't actually formally said it out loud, haven't verbalized it. And because you haven't verbalized it, you haven't really gone through the entire process of assessing what the challenge is that you're facing in the first place. See, so often when we think about this hierarchical vertical mentorship in that kind of notion or mentality, we think, okay, here's the problem that I'm facing. You know, have you faced this? How'd you, how'd you solve that challenge? And like, can I apply this to my life? And boom, snip, snap, we're done. And the solution's created more often than not. That's not how it works. What's more beneficial typically is the person asking questions to clarify, to better understand what is the scenario you as an individual are facing and how can I then go about sharing from my own unique areas of expertise what I've done to effectively handle a scenario like that. And by asking those questions, we may end up identifying that although our experiences may not be unique, um, our, our, our experiences may not overlap in the same business, we have had scenarios that are relevant and can relate to that and ultimately can help us be better. So like, for example, one of the things that we do is we run these executive mastermind groups where we take right. our research on mentorship. We connect CEOs to CEOs or senior level leaders to other senior level leaders across the country and We'll take a Fortune 500 senior level leader to and, com- and pair them with what we might call like a legacy business senior level leader, like construction, manufacturing, uh, banking, real estate, that sort of stuff. And even though their sizes of business might be totally different, their industries might be totally different, their technical stuff that might be totally different. At the end of the day, they're dealing with humans and the human challenges that they're facing can be consistent across the board. And if we are willing to ask the questions to further clarify what somebody's going through, we're much more likely to better understand that challenge and find a scenario where maybe we face something similar that we could share and see if that that story might be beneficial to that person in that, in that scenario. That's interesting because that's at the core. Uh, yeah, I was a Vistage member for years and now I'm an EO and EO, the, the heart of EO and a lot of, for a lot of EOers is the forum. You know, it's a group of other business owners um, who get together once a month for half a day and, and, one of the big rules is is you know is we we share from our experience. We don't give advice, and so that's a um, and that's been really valuable. I can go in and say, here's an issue, whether it's a business issue, a personal growth issue, or whatever that I'm I'm, I'm challenged why, and here's why it's really important to me, uh, and and what its impact is. And then we can go around, and, and people can share their own experiences. Maybe they've never dealt with whatever my issue is. But whatever it brings to mind for them is often educational for me just to get that insight into how they think and make me see how I'm framing a circumstance or situation uh, and, and and think about it differently. So is that the kind of thing you're talking about there? Is it? Oh, yeah. Just, okay, great. That's interesting. So yeah, I stumbled it, into one of those without even realizing it. So that's yeah. Great. No, that's exactly it. I mean, we are mastermind groups are very consultative where we ask questions to better understand a scenario and a situation people are facing. But when it comes to the one-on-ones, we provide meeting agendas and context and topics that we know are things that are being faced by a lot of the executives. And, and very often they're open-ended. It's not like exactly specific, but it's focused around, okay, 
I know this is an area of my leadership that I would like to improve, or this is an, an area that I would like to become better at. Here are suggested questions or ways to ask questions, a methodology, so then I can better understand what somebody else is going through, what, what my fellow executive mentor is going through. Because ultimately, we know that not everybody's trained in how to effectively ask questions, or as you had mentioned, Mike, before, asking the dumb questions in the room, because they're not dumb questions. Oftentimes, we we overlook that. And um, yeah, what's so critical is if we, if we can ask those dumb questions, if we can sink into our genuine curiosity, we can better understand what a person's facing and going through. And we can help them verbalize the challenges that they're facing and maybe almost even answer their own questions. Because so often people know what's realistic or unrealistic in terms of what they are willing to apply or not apply for their own solutions within their life. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select episode 27 and enter the keyword MINTS. That's M-I-N-T-Z. On January 27th, I'll be hosting a webinar entitled How to Legally and Meaningfully Discuss Criminal History with Applicants. This free webinar is approved for one professional development credit for SHRM certified professionals and one hour of general recertification credit for HRCI certified professionals. You can register for this free webinar at imperativeinfo.com. And if you're listening to this podcast after January 27th, you can still watch the recorded webinar on our website for credit for free. And now back to my conversation with Garrett Mintz. So in the corporate setting, let's say I'm in HR and I'm looking for that relationship. Am I necessarily looking for that relationship inside of my silo, inside of HR or inside of, you know, uh, people with, you know, maybe in the same age demographic or things like that? Or, you know, where do I go? Where would I if, if my company doesn't have, let's say this stuff for starters, my organization doesn't have a formal program. Uh, but I want to do that professionally for my own development. Where do I go? I mean, do I need to look to peers that are in the same same business area or, or outside of my department? I like going outside of the department because it helps gain a different perspective about the business that maybe you're not fully aware of. And because of the distance between you and them, it helps improve your objectivity because they're more likely to tell you how it is versus if you're in within the same department, there's this level of being polite and being kind. It's like a lot of times people for the sake of being polite won't tell you all the potentially frustrating things that you do because they know that they work with you actively. But when they're in a different department, it's a lot easier to be completely forthright with the challenges that you're facing and and how you're going through that. And in terms of how you can go about building those relationships, I'm a huge fan of vulnerability. Just like I shared with everybody, my story and my background of you know, being a drug dealer, I, I highly encourage you, if you want to build these bonds and relationships that you start by extending the olive branch and that olive branch could be, Hey, I'm creating a internal company, emotional support group. <laughs> you can call it that. And I know that sounds really strange, especially, um, and, and this is just based on conditioning, um, as men, we are not 
conditioned to say, oh, wow, I'm going to be a part of this emotional support group. But I think if you're willing to put it out there and say, I am going to be a part of this emotional support group because I've got emotions and feelings that I need to process and want to go through. And I know other people are facing challenges as well. And if we can get together, maybe it's just you and me, Mike, or it's, you know, somebody else um, within the company, maybe it's three or four of us, but we can come together, meet, connect. doesn't have to be every week. It could be every month. Maybe we grab lunch or something that can help us feel that level of connection, that oxytocin that we've got people that can relate in, in our uh, similar circumstances at work. And even though we're not in the same department, it can help us gain a perspective from other people. The other benefit of doing it in different departments is you can understand and, and empathize with the challenges faced by other people, especially with all the supply chain challenges that we're seeing. I mean, I work with a lot of manufacturing and construction firms. You got sales that are frustrated because they can't get the, the items shipped to where they're going, which means they can't collect their commission checks, which really frustrates them. But then at the same time, supply chain is like, we can't even get the raw goods and materials to make what we're trying to ship out in the first place. And so it causes two people to assume the worst of each other because it's so easy to judge. It's so easy to judge ourselves on our intentions and others on our perceptions. And I think that's a mistake I know a lot of HR uh, professionals make is they understand the HR side of their business, but they don't understand how the business makes money. And HR, unless you're an HR consulting firm, is not how your company makes money. It facilitates that through people. But I mean, you, you, you pr- produce a service, you produce a product, you... Uh, you do something for the community, something to execute the mission of the organization. And that's probably not through the delivery of HR services. And a lot of HR folks don't understand uh, how sales works or how operations works. And so, and that's been for a long time, a big push to get more HR folks on the shop floor and, and, and to have those relationships. So, and I, and I would guess it's probably true for accounting and everybody else too. Absolutely. Yeah. So, but you're talking about more than just having friends at work who work in other departments. Uh, so even if it wasn't a formal, hey, I'm going to create a, an emotional emotional support group, if you go into these relationships with intentional uh, or intentionality so that you're saying, I'm going to build a bridge with this person. I, I know early, I, it's hard to believe for people who know me now, but I used to be a bull in a china shop when I was young. Um, I, I once got in a lot of trouble because I made a, what we used to call secretaries, uh, cry uh, because of a, a snarky paper memo, it was before email, uh, that I, I, I sent over uh, uh, in response to something that she had done. And, you know, just, but I, I've, I'd learned slowly through, through the help of several mentors uh, to build bridges rather than to be that guy who is just a jerk to everybody. Um, but, if you if you go into it with I think you know with what you're saying is the intent to understand the other person and you know the the, the you know the old you know uh, you know uh, seek first to be understood the Stephen Covey uh, uh, maxim uh, we can we can start to build those relationships that way and and learn and and maybe educate along the way absolutely and I think this even applies within the department from a manager to direct report relationship. I think so often from a middle level management and even from a senior level executive management perspective, we are not fostering enough mentor relationships between us and our people. And by that, I just mean back to the horizontal mentorship perspective. We are too hierarchical, even though I have the the title of director or VP or COO or CEO or whatever, uh, it can become, people almost 
take, I don't want to say that too seriously, but there's this notion within this, this topic called Adlerian psychology, which essentially says we want to facilitate more horizontal relationships than vertical relationships. And one of the surefire ways to create a vertical relationship, and this is not necessarily a good thing, is to either praise or rebuke. Because by praising and rebuking, what we are doing is we're saying that, hey, we are above you. We're in a position where we can we can praise or rebuke you. Um, and I know it may sound weird to say, you know, it's it would be bad to praise somebody. But if I were to say, hey, Mike, good job on this thing, that can almost sound demeaning because who the heck am I to tell you that I can tell you a good job on whatever thing um, that you're doing? And it, it ultimately can can seem condescending. So as opposed to just praising somebody just for the sake of praising them, because I think this is something that's happening quite frequently right now with a lot of remote leaders and a lot of remote teams is they're saying like, hey, good work on this thing. But there's not any next step as to what that means or how it all works or plays in their mind. And people then just become diluted to these praises or, you know, gold stars or whatever, because it's not that motivating anymore. It loses its allure. One of the best ways to go about counteracting that, at least in um, in this psychology research, is by, as opposed to just praising them, share how it helped you achieve something. So share the why behind it. Like, hey, Mike, thanks for doing this thing because it helped me achieve XYZ outcome. By clarifying how you doing that work helped me achieve something, it now shows gratitude. It shows that we're on an even level playing field. And it shows that I needed you for something mm-hmm. versus just me saying, hey, good job. I didn't yeah, you brought that. Yeah, you brought value to me in doing this. Exactly. That's and, that's, and that's a layer of vulnerability that's so critical to mentorships, to management, to coaching, to any form of relationships within a, in a working environment. If we can't acknowledge I needed you for something, then it's very difficult to build a, a strong, deep bond with that person because there's always going to be that hierarchy, which is going to always make people feel disconnected. So let's talk about those remote relationships then. So here we are. Uh, this podcast is going to drop in January. So it'll almost be two years uh, since we first shut down um, uh, because of COVID. What are you seeing in, in these kind of relationships, these, these horizontal relationships with when we're at least spending some, if not all of our time talking to each other over video or, or just audio and email? What do you see happening and, you know, that's good or bad? Well, I hope to always be the, the Debbie Downer, but it's it's fascinating things that we're seeing. So one thing that we created from these mastermind groups and these corporate mentor programs was this tool called AIM Insights. Essentially, what it does is it leverages employee feedback to improve manager performance. It helps them have more effective one-on-ones, kind of like the things that we're discussing right now about how can I ask questions in a more inquisitive, curious way so that I'm not, you know, demeaning people, but I'm building more of a horizontal relationship. And we built this tool to help with that. But one of the things that we measure are task performance. So one's own self-perception, a direct report's own self-perception of their own ability to get things done. And then team productivity, that individual's perception of the team's ability to get work done. One of the things that we're seeing consistently across the board in remote teams is that their task performance is greater than their team productivity scores, which would indicate that I think I'm doing a lot but my team's not doing as much. And psychology is called egocentric bias. Essentially, I feel like I am this big baller brand and I'm doing amazing stuff um, within the workplace and I'm doing awesome, but everybody else is slacking because I'm judging myself on my intentions and everybody else on my perceptions. And if I don't see them all the time in the office, working late, doing this stuff, 
Um, and instead, all I'm seeing is like they've got some distractions in the background because they're also babysitting. They're, they're also like handling their kids and childcare duties while at the same time trying to do work. And I don't actually know that they're up till midnight, one, two, three in the morning trying to make up for the work because they've been taking care of their kid all day. All I see is what I see during the day when I'm working. And so I lack empathy for these people because I don't see them nearly as much. Uh, and that's that's hurting a lot of cohesion. It's hurting a lot of culture. And I believe it's a big contributor for why a lot of people are so much more comfortable with leaving and transitioning into new work and new roles um, is because they are lacking that oxytocin with other people at work. They're lacking that connection, that, that chemical in our brain that makes us feel connected to other people. They're lacking that. And so because it's of that lack of it, it's, it's easier, it's less of a hurt or knock on our, our, ourselves to just leave and go to somewhere else. So I think what you're saying is that some folks, at least, in, in working in this remote, remote environment are seeing themselves more, even if they're a regular employee, seeing themselves more as a gig employee, uh, that I, I'm, I'm, I'm here doing this task and everybody else is interchangeable. And I could go take this, I could up and go someplace else and do the same task uh, and not having those connections with with the brand, with the culture, with the, with my peers. I would say a little bit. I wouldn't say not everybody's like a gig employee. I, I, I would just say that a big reason why a lot of people stay, or rather, I think let's maybe backtrack. Like, let's think about like, what are the core tenets of engagement? Why do people, why are people engaged at work? Um we look at, I look at Gallup just for like the base mm -hmm. core tenets of it. There are four core tenets. Um, connection to the mission of the company. Uh, does the work complement my strengths? Camaraderie with employee. And does the work give me energy? Like those are the four core pillars of engagement. And when we lose that camaraderie and when we lose that ability to work in person, it can, it can hinder our ability to get the energy from the work because we're not having as many interactions with those that are being affected by the outcomes of our work, especially if we're in like in a development or a technical role. Um, and yeah, if we're not connected with other people, we can start to lose our connection to the mission of the organization. Obviously we lose camaraderie because we're not interacting with people on a regular basis. Um, so really what we're just hanging on to is, does the work complement my strengths? And once we're only focused on that, we can think like, is there other work that complements my strengths? Yes that diminishes my ability or my logic, my emotional feelings of, of wanting to stay because of the other three reasons th that engagement exists. So I'm more likely to take my talents to a different company because um, why not? I mean, mm -hmm. they're, they're going to fulfill that same need right now that I'm getting from engagement anyways. So if I'm a company and I want to build, and let's say I'm a, especially in, in a hybrid or mostly remote first environment, and I want to build a, a culture, uh, and I want to build this engagement across, you know, horizontally across the organization. Uh, what what kind of program might I put in place? What does that look like? Where do I start? Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan of mentor programs. I have studied mentor programs and what's really effective, what's not effective. Um, one of the things that we find to be really effective when facilitating mentor programs is providing agendas, specifically around long term goals, not around short term tasks. What we found was that when you provide a mentor program and you provide agendas around short-term tasks, it's easy for the relationship to fizzle out pretty quickly because, you know, after the first month or two or three, it's great and all, but then you hit that month four wall. And then all of a sudden those tasks, even because they're in, they're in differing departments are eventually going to become stale because they're constantly changing for the individual 
mm-hmm. but because the conversations are once a month or maybe twice a month, it's too spread out to be fully updated about all the things going on. But if we can focus them on long-term goals, aspirations, those are unlikely to change that drastically. So therefore, the conversations are much more likely to be deeper and build and grow stronger. So for example, um, one of the companies we're working with, they're a software company. Uh, We paired a a woman named Sophia. She is a developer for the company. She's a coder um, with Lori. She's a VP of customer service. They don't interact with each other. Total opposite sides of the company. Um, And by month two, Sophia said, you know, one of my longer term goals and aspirations is to have a women's empowerment group at our company. I just think it would be so cool to have that because we're a technology company. There's not, it's a typically male dominated industry and field. Like I would love to showcase what we are doing as a company for women in technology, because we do have a lot of female coders here. And I think it's really cool. And Lori was like, that is awesome. Let's do it. And so they created it and uh, they just went out, started recruiting both men and women to join their women's empowerment group. They ended up starting to go to different university campuses locally to uh, recruit other young women to to join this group. And um, yeah, they ended up using that as a huge recruitment tool to, to attract young women out of college to come work for their company um, from a technical standpoint because they had it there and they had already built those relationships. And so that was that's just one example of the why fo- focusing on the long-term goals and aspirations is, is much more powerful than saying like, hey, I worked on this this week. So so not a relationship to, okay, l- let's figure out how we better process payroll. And that's a short-term assignment. Maybe we learn something. Maybe we uh, build a, a little bit of a relationship. But once that project's done, it's done. We go our separate ways. You're talking about something bigger picture, uh, do you, do we, but you sounds like maybe you don't even know what those bigger pictures are until those relationships start to form. Absolutely. You don't know what those bigger pictures are until the relationships start to form. And some of the, those short-term tasks, like improving payroll could come out of some of those long-term tasks. Maybe the long-term goal could be, I would love for our, you know, number of complaints to HR to diminish from like 30% to 5%. I've got no idea. I'm just right. no, yeah. no. putting that out there. Like that could be a long-term goal. I think goal most that, HR departments would love a 30% complaint. If, you know, just love to be at 30%. Yeah. I got no, I got no yeah. idea. I'm just making up numbers. But yeah, yeah if, if that's what we're identifying as our long-term, big, hairy, audacious goal, maybe part of that could be improving the way that we do payroll that makes it less painful on... Uh, directors or VPs or anybody who has uh, like a travel and expense budget to submit their paperwork to get that approved or to get you know reimbursed for their cash outlay for going on these trips for sales or whatever I don't know like these are those are short term tasks but it's to achieve a longer term goal it's not like okay great we did one thing and we're done it's how can we focus on something longer more aspirational and that can extend multiple mentor relationships you know if you do six months with one person maybe you switch and you get paired with somebody else that still retains your mission. But now you bring that to somebody else and they get a new perspective as to what you're trying to accomplish. And together you work on it together and, and continue to grow your respective goals and aspirations within within the organization. It, it, it fosters intrapreneurship. So we're almost out of, we're, we are definitely out of time, but I want to understand uh, what does ambition and motion do? If I'm a company and I, I want to develop this, you know, this the stronger cohesion across horizontally across the organization and uh, build a culture where uh, where we're learning from each other and I call ability in motion. What are you going to tell me? What's your what's your elevator pitch? How do I you know what are you going to do for me? 
Yeah. So there are three core things that we do. We run corporate mentor programs to break down communication silos across departments and teams. This can be both for in-person teams or in remote teams. We've done this for companies where they've had some merger and acquisition um, situations where they're conjoining multiple teams from a variety of different silos together and they're trying to make it all work. We've done this with smaller teams where they just like, hey, we want to just build stronger empathy and stronger culture and we don't necessarily know how. Um, like our, you know, we've got a company that's got 11 employees and they're using our mentor program and everybody works in the same office. They all meet with each other every day. But what this does is it helps them build stronger, more intentional relationships with each other on a, on a more empathetic level. Um, the second thing we do is we run those executive mastermind groups. So we connect senior level leaders. So we've got an operations leader program. So if you're a director or a vice president, you can join that program. We've got an executive program, which is for people in the C-suite. We connect them together to gain objectivity work through their challenges, have a group of people that can relate to what they're going through. And it's all focused around leadership. Um, we even have some companies that pay for a lot of their allerging, emerging leaders to go through our program. It's fun. It's really cool. It's a great way to gain a perspective outside of your company as to what you can do to become a better leader. And then the third thing we do is we have this tool called AIM Insights, which leverages employee feedback to improve manager performance. Essentially, it takes data from your direct reports, helps essentially make it very clear to that manager what is going on, what that means, and then what they can do to help raise their team's scores and help them feel more comfortable at work. We provide conversation prompts, following a lot of our mentor research, um, and essentially one-on-ones. And ultimately what it does is it helps people and, and leaders build stronger culture on a mid-level management and above. And so it's a great way to, it, it's almost for a lot of companies, is a great way to provide an early stage training for mid-level managers to get started leading their people at a way low, low cost manner than sending them to a pretty extensive training seminar. Perfect. And that's all the time we have. Thank you for joining us today, Garrett. Cool. Thanks for having me, Mike. And thank you for listening. You can find previous episodes, show notes, and contact info for our guests at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer and Imperatives Marketing Coordinator, Katie Bautista, keeps the trains running on time. And I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out to me if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week. And until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.